If you have the, the notes, um, we've been going through the London Baptist Confession, and we are on chapter 3 of God's decree, specifically looking at paragraph 3 and 4. And uh, verses that really are a great theme found in Isaiah 46. Uh, let's recite these together and uh, maybe you're kind of get working on them in your memory and I encourage you to do that. Let's uh, say it together. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it, and I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. Isaiah 46, 9-11. to I've, I've said this the last few weeks. God's attributes flesh themselves out in every way. And that's how we see the doctrine of Scripture reflecting his attributes. And nothing can be out of alignment with who he is. Uh, we, we have to begin with God. And, and when we understand who God is, he is consistent. He does not change. And the great hope and the great blessing there that are in the fact that he does not change. But in the fact that he doesn't change the character that he has revealed in Scripture, we don't get to determine based upon our feelings what we think or how we think or God doesn't quite make sense to us. Tonight, as we look at the decree of God, we're going to be looking at paragraph 3 and 4. And really, if you, if you have a whole copy of the confession, um, five and somewhat of six are, are very similar to these. Um, and next week, the text is very much similar, but I want to draw out a, a couple different things. But uh, look at the screen with me on paragraph three. By the decree of God for the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestinated or foreordained to eternal life through Jesus Christ, to the praise of his glorious grace, others being left to act in their sin to their judge, just condemnation to the praise of his glorious justice. Paragraph four. These angels and men thus predestinated and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed in their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Again, as we looked, we, we see that a decree is something uh, that is commanded. Uh, often it's a formal decree, like from a king or a ruler. But we've seen that really there's one decree of God. Uh, maybe it's nitpicking a little bit, but he has one decree. It, it all fits into his one decree. And as we look at this thought of God working we see even paragraph 3 points out the one goal of God's decree is to demonstrate, or as paragraph 3 says, for the manifestation of his glory. All things that God does are for his glory. 
That is his chief end. That's why it, the, the Westminster Confession uh, in the, the Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God. Because that is what God has sought and God has created us for. But even in his decree, in all of his works, they are to bring him glory. To demonstrate means to reflect or to show. We, we sometimes think of demonstrating as to show how something works. But what, what that kind of maybe helps us think of is that God's decree, how he is working sovereignly in all of his creation, are showing his glory. In chapter 4, we see the work of creation. The heavens are telling the glory of God. We, we, um, we, we see God's beauty in creation. The God-centeredness of God often can make us a little uncomfortable. Uh, in my email tomorrow, I'm sharing a, a link uh, of, a, of a message. I've mentioned it several times of MacArthur preaching at, at the Master's College on the, the mission of God. It's his own glory. And uh, I pray that it would challenge us to think about in this idea of God's decree that it's for his glory, that all things are for his glory, not just the things that we're doing. We think of 1 Corinthians 10, everything we do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God, okay. But that God is working everything. And at first glance, that's easy for us to say, but then this continues. That God has one decree, and that it, or one goal, and one work. This one work is a, to predestinate. That he is doing a work to predestinate. predestinate it's not a, a, a word we use very often. We hear the word predestine, but we don't think of it in maybe somewhat of the, the verb form but means to determine in advance. Matthew 20, uh, excuse me, 25, I believe, talks about how before the foundation of the earth, we've seen that the decree of God was determined before creation, according to the counsel of his own will. And his paragraph 4 reminds us that it is never to change. Because if the plan of God was to change, it means God himself changes. Therefore, God would not be God. On the way here tonight, um, the kids were listening to one of the G. Henty books uh, on a dramatic audio. And um, one of the guys was talking about uh, Nero. And uh, talking about uh, the, the Christians and the influence and Nero fighting against them. And this, this guy is, is battling to understand who is this Christus. And he says, if God is not in fully, in fully in charge, he's not God at all. And granted, that's a fictional character, but a statement of absolute truth. If God is not completely in control of all things, he is not God. We see that... The, the confession helping us see that, that God's one goal is to demonstrate his glory. And specifically, he has a work here. But this work is to predestinate, to determine in advance. But then we see it speak of two different groups. And this is where it can become a little more challenging as we see it say, for the manifestation of his glory, he predestinated some men and angels. 
Have you ever thought about that? At first, I, it's easy to challenge that and say, hey, what, what's it mean about predestinating angels? I, I, I've heard of God speaking of mankind and predestining mankind, but 1 Timothy 5, 21 Paul writes, he says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels or the predestinated angels that even in God's infinite wisdom, his decree is not just in man creation, it is even in the creation of angels. But one thing happens. The, the beauty of this that Christ did not come for angels, but he came for man only. But there are two groups. Notice there are not three groups, there are only two. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself, excuse me. Of course, there's men and angels. But there are two ends. There are two ends for which it's predestined, or as the paragraph says, foreordained. Look at Romans 9 on the screen behind me. Now we're kind of jumping in the middle of the context here, but Paul writes, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, so the glory of God, what if God wanted to show his glory, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction? That God has prepared some for destruction. And then Paul continues and says, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Notice God prepared for destruction and he prepared vessels for mercy. There's two there. That he predestinated some and to eternal life and then others to eternal condemnation as we've seen in Ephesians 1:11 in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will notice paul is saying that in christ we have obtained an inheritance how? Because those were predestined to obtain it. Not in the works, but in an act of God's grace. But in predestining some for eternal life, God predestined some for eternal condemnation. In, in reality, all enter eternal life. We all exist after this life but in that life some of it's a glorious life some of it is a judgment of life by choosing some there is an act of what is called reprobation it's not that just god god chose some but in choosing some it's not to choose others intentionally we we like to try to sugarcoat this a little bit but if I choose Isabella, I'm making a willful choice not to choose Eddie. Now you can say, well, we don't want to make Eddie feel bad. 
but I am. I am choosing Isabella, and in doing that, logic says, I am choosing not to choose Hetty. And so the doctrine of reprobation is not uh, something we can get around, if it, even if it kind of makes us feel a little uncomfortable. Sometimes we can try to say, well, God chose some to eternal life, and then the others just end up in hell. No. It's not what Romans 9 is saying, that God, in choosing some and foreordaining heaven for some, he is choosing and foreordaining hell for the others. As later in Romans 9, excuse me, earlier in Romans 9, Paul writes, Therefore, he, being God, has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. The other day I, I saw somebody had done one of those, I'm getting old now, a meme I think is how you say it, but it said Calvinism is God chooses his favorites and hates the others. What makes it me sad is that's a total misunderstanding. God doesn't have favorites. If he has favorites, then something outside of himself caused him to act that way. And as we've seen, God's decree does not work outside of him. Nothing impacts him. He chose because of his own free will, not based upon any merit of ourselves. So there's no favorites that God has chosen some and not others. And then if a person stands saved by God's grace, it is completely by God's grace. There is nothing in us. Now, sadly, I, I think there can be an arrogance in the way some people speak about election. And it's interesting, even at the end of chapter 3 in the, uh, in the confession, there's a paragraph kind of on how we need to deal with this doctrine. And I think it's a, a fitting one we'll get to uh, in, in two weeks. But notice, God has one decree he has one work that he is doing specifically in this context. There's two groups, men and angels. And those two groups, he's predestinating some to eternal life and some to eternal condemnation or hell. But notice the means by which that happens. How do they end up in both of those places? Remember, based upon God's character, he is just, he cannot just ignore sin. So God can't just go, okay, I'm ignoring sin. He had to take care of it because each of these are just. Because God is just. First of all, those predestined to eternal life, notice how the paragraph says, through Jesus Christ. That is the only way. It's not, it's not them and Jesus. It's through Jesus Christ. We, we've been talking quite a bit recently in the, the song, The Solid Rock, that we sang earlier, dressed in his righteousness alone. It's that picture of that it's not us and then God kind of adds to us. He fully covers us with Christ's righteousness. That there's no works of ourselves in it. Paul says in Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood speaking of Christ, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
Notice, we're the recipients. We have no action in that. In Him, through Him, according to the riches of His grace. And God is just to appease His own wrath by Christ's righteousness. That sin, all sin, is paid for. Either by the reprobate man or by the eternal Son of God. We see that the one means by which mankind enters into eternal life is through Christ's righteousness and the other through man's sinfulness. Notice others being left to, the act, to act in their sin to their just condemnation. It is just. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, quote, the stone that, which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and, quote, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, end quote, they have stumbled, excuse me, they stumble, being, why do they stumble? Why do they sin? Being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. They were appointed to be disobedient, to act in the flesh. And so when God sends to hell, there is not a single innocent person cast into hell. And God is just. But both, both of the groups, those to eternal life and those to eternal condemnation, exhibit God's display of his character. Notice paragraph 3 says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And those being cast to hell, to the praise of his glorious justice. The first is the act of God's grace. Later, First Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Again, why does God save? To bring glory to himself. The, the secondary means or the, the secondary byproduct of that is the blessing we receive. But it is not the ultimate purpose. It is a picture of God's grace getting something that we don't deserve. And on the other side is God's justice, but it's a glorious justice. And often we think of justice, especially the justice of God, as God being mean. Yet, even a, a worldly judge, when he executes judgment, he should be honored or she should be honored for bringing just justice. We, we praise a judge for making a just judgment even when it seems to condemn one party to pronounce guilt. As we, as we close, I, I've quoted it several times, but I want to just kind of finish looking at Ephesians 1. If you want to turn there. Ephesians 1, and I encourage you to maybe listen as I, I, I read I'll attempt to emphasize a little bit, but I want you to hear two different kind of themes that are going through 
the in him passages and then how it happens to he, he or his and then the repetition of to the praise of his. Paul writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory. Excuse me, I'm used to a different translation. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, and he made which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which both, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of, of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I pray that as we read that, we see the glory of God upon display. That it's him working. It's him doing it. It's through Christ. It's not of ourselves. That's why Paul can say just a few paragraphs later, for by grace we are saved. It is all of grace. It is all of grace but that grace did not come on accident. Is this paragraph, these two paragraphs remind us, they come by the decree of God. It comes and it does not change. The number does not increase, nor does it decrease. When we read these passages, it gives us opportunity to examine our own hearts. To say, where am I in this? Am I this or am I this? And what is the evidence or the fruit of my own life? Am I in Christ? Do I see his grace changing my life? Or do I see the hardening of my heart to the things of God? But at the end, all that are predestined, which are all, whether to heaven or hell, it's all to God's glory. But I pray that by God's grace, he does not receive glory through the condemning of us, but through pouring his grace out on us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a reminder, Lord, of our 
helplessness to save ourselves, that there is no hope apart of your grace through the work of Christ. Lord, tonight, Lord, I pray even in this time, Lord, if if our hearts have not been turned toward you, that you would do that amazing work of of changing our hearts, Lord, giving us a, a heart of repentance and faith and trusting Christ for our salvation, not ourselves. Lord, that you might be glorified tonight in saving some. Lord, pour out your mercy upon us. Pour out your mercy upon those whom we love and the people you've put in our paths. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. May it not just be something that goes to our heads that we know intellectually, but Lord, may you produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives to the praise of your glorious grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.